the magnitude of our message. And I want to say with absolute clarity that it is so important that a church constantly reminds itself of why it exists. I see too many churches in the country, in our culture, that are suffering from identity disorder, identity confusion as a church. What do I mean by that? What I mean is that many churches in our country, and I believe particularly in New England, don't know why they are here and have unconsciously, in other words, not intentionally, in some cases intentionally, but most times unintentionally, have forfeited their God-given calling in Christ Jesus to do what Jesus established the church to do. And I don't want to pastor a church, and I don't think you want to belong to a church that does something other than what Jesus founded the church to do. Can I get a good amen? amen. We're here to do what he wants us to do. We're here to be the church he wants us to be. This was his idea. This was not man's idea. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. The church exists to do what Jesus wants it to do. And here's what Jesus wants us to do. He wants us to go across the world and tell as many people as we can about the fact that God's son came to this earth, died, was buried, and rose again on the third day to provide salvation and forgiveness of sins for anyone who would come to him. That's the message that we are here to proclaim. And it is a enormous message. It is enormously important. A lot of churches are all about social goodwill, and that's fine. And a lot of churches are about political parties and politics, and that's not fine in my opinion. I don't think any church should be about that. A lot of churches are about fellowship. A lot of churches are about just having a great community. And those things are good. But the primary responsibility is to tell people that Jesus is alive. He is, he is Lord of Lords. He is King of Kings. He's the author and finisher of our faith. And he's coming back again to judge the living and the dead. And if you place your faith in him, you go straight to heaven upon death. That is what we are telling the world. That is our mission. That's why we are here. Right? Let us not abandon our calling. We need to be more more committed to this than ever before. Why? You have seen the news this week. You have seen the conditions of the human heart displayed in full color. Two people who achieved the top of their profession, who arose to the highest levels of their respective industries, taking their own lives. And some of you, I mean, I I've talked to some of you already, some of you were really shaken up by this this week, and I just want to remind you, Christians, that this is why we do what we do, because our Savior told us that we can gain the whole world and yet forfeit our soul, and we gain nothing. The message of Jesus is that important. 
The message of Jesus is that imperative that we go out and tell people, no, you do not have to chase the American dream. You do not have to chase the dream of your industry because if you get it, you might realize it wasn't all it was cracked up to be, but there is something that will give you meaning, hope, and purpose, and his name is Jesus. Like, this is our calling. I am fired up today to tell you, be the church, because there's a world outside these doors that desperately need what we have to say. I was watching the news pundits talking about, especially Anthony Bourdain, and just so sad, how they all had the answers to what he needed, but they didn't finish it with Jesus, like the news pundits. On all the networks, Fox, CNN, MSNBC, all the local, and they kept talking about, you know what it is, and they had all the experts on to talk about this. You need meaning in your life. If you don't have meaning, so what's the point? Yes, we agree. Where does that meaning come from? It doesn't come from exotic foods. Like, it doesn't come from cool handbags. I was watching this one clip of Anthony Bourdain, and he was eating this exotic little foreign dish. I think it was in the Philippines. I'm not sure. It was just, it looked like coleslaw. And I'm sure it was tasty. I'm sure it was delicious. And I know he's acting, and I know there's a whole bunch of that involved in the presentation, but here was his words about the coleslaw. This is what you want. This is what you need. This is the path to true happiness and wisdom. Coleslaw. (laughs) Like, I mean, I don't want to mock the guy because rest in peace and, and may God have mercy on him. But listen to me. If you put all of your hopes, dreams, and fulfillment wishes in coleslaw, you have got serious problems and you need a serious answer. And that answer is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. This is why we're here. This is why we exist. This is why we will never, ever stop telling people to repent of their sins, turn from doing life your way, and turn to doing life God's way. This message is way too important. Acts chapter 5, it's got everything. It's got conflict. It's, it's got hostility against the message of Jesus. It's got healings and miracles and supernatural works. It's got a prison break. It's got a showdown between the lowly apostles, these former fishermen turned evangelists, facing off against the judgment powers, the political powers of the day. It is an amazing chapter. It's a long chapter. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but we will summarize some of it. But let's read it together. And then I want to tell you the theme. So stand with me. Acts chapter 5. Here's what it says in verse 14. And more than ever. Somebody say more than ever. ever. This is Acts 5, 14. More than ever believers were added to the Lord. Multitudes of both men and women. Just, Just a little point in fact there about salvation. Salvation is not a free ticket to heaven. Salvation is you are added to the Lord. You are his. We become the possession of Jesus, and we are called for his purposes to live out his mission. So added to the Lord. That's not 
That's not just a little phrase that Luke puts in there because he's bored. That's intentional. And then verse 15, so that even, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from around the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. This is an amazing moment. Healings are going on like crazy, and even Peter's shadow is, is healing people. And then it says this in verse 17, but the high priest rose up. And all those who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees. The Sadducees were a religious and political party in the first century, in first century Israel. And they were filled with jealousy, and they arrested the apostles, and they put them in prison. And during the night, though, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go, and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council, the senate of the people, and, the, and they sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison. So they returned and reported, we found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priest heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. And someone came and told them, look, the men you put in prison, this is funny, the men you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain and the officers went and brought them, not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. Everybody loved the church, but the powers of the world hated the church. In verse 27, when they brought them in, they set them before the cows and the high priest questioned them, saying, we charged you strictly not to teach in Jesus' name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, Christians, please take note of the next phrase. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and the forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. Now, they wanted to kill them. And there's a guy named Gamaliel in the Senate. And he stands up and he says, be careful before you do anything against these men. We've seen this act before. And he says, there was a guy named Thaddeus. And he rose up. There's a guy named Julian, Judas the Galilean, and he rose up, and they had followers, and they were put to death, and their followers dispersed and came to nothing. And so then he says this, verse 38, so in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone, for if, it is, if, the, if, if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail, but if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice, and when they had called in the apostles, they beat them. And charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they had been counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. Wow. They left after getting a beating by the officials of their day and said, thank you, Jesus. We got beat for your name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for this moment where we all have chosen to say time out to life, time out to what's outside these doors, and have chosen to hear from you and experience you. And I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts will be pleasing in your sight. 
And I pray also, as we do all the time, may we see Jesus and him only in his mighty name we pray. And everybody said, God bless you. Have a seat. Have a seat. Acts chapter 5 theme, and you can write it down if you're taking notes, is that God will do whatever it takes to make his message heard, and so should we. The church exists to proclaim a message, the message of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. That's why we're here. And what we're going to see in chapter 5 of Acts is God is radically committed to making that message heard. You know what, does anybody understand? It's hard to get through to some people. <laughs> anybody got someone in your life that just does not listen to you? Raise your hand. All right, I'm in good company. If you're sitting next to that person, raise your hand. No, don't do that. <laughs> if you don't know somebody like that, you're probably the person in somebody else's life like that. It's hard to get through to some people. And I think that this is what, what God feels like most of the time. Because it's hard to get through to people. We're stubborn. I, I, I am a professional child psychologist. <laughs> Not through the university degree, but through having three children of my own. <laughs> it's hard to get through to them. How many times have I told you to shut the door? I don't understand why children refuse to shut doors. Up in heaven before they're born, is, is there like some little angel like programming? This is to teach your father patience, never shut a door. I tell them a thousand times, shut the door. The air conditioner, the heat's on. This is New England. The weather is always trying to kill us. Shut the stinking door. They don't listen. People don't listen. And listen, this is what God is going to, God has to do sometimes. He has to do things to wake us up. And sometimes he does really cool things to wake us up. Such as here in chapter 5 of Acts is point number one. God heals and restores lives in order to share the message. This is what happens in Acts chapter 5. The Bible says that people are coming from everywhere now. This little group of people, 120, the Holy Spirit falls on them in Acts chapter 2, and then they become 3,000, and then the Holy Spirit comes upon them again in chapter 4, and they become 5,000. And now in chapter 5, it says more than ever before, people are coming to Christ. The church is growing leaps and bounds, and it can't be stopped. And now on top of that, people are bringing their sick from all the surrounding towns, and they're coming to the apostles, and they're like, please just heal my son, heal my daughter, please. Let me just have Peter's shadow just, just kind of pass over them. That's enough. And they were getting healed, and this amazing thing is happening, and it's a powerful move of God. But why? So that people would know what the apostles were saying was true. And I want to say, how does this relate to us? Because, because that's the question, right? Here's what it is. Here's how this relates to us. God has done some amazing things in many of your lives. And the reason why he does that is not just so that you can have a better life and feel happier. The reason that he does that is so that you can be a living witness and a living testimony to the world around you that the God you serve is real and true and he is the way, the truth, and the life. 
What has he done in your life? Some of you need to stop and take note, take note of what God has done in your life. Because it's so important that we get the message out. It's so important that we continue to tell people about how good God has been to us. Do not become a grumpy Christian because you're looking at everybody else and all the news and all that stuff that's happening. Start learning how to rejoice in the Lord no matter what you're facing because the God who saved you is working on you and is going to complete you until the day of Christ Jesus. God has healed your marriage. God has healed some of your children god has healed some of your bodies and that's so that the world the word spreads the people gathered verse 16 from around the towns around jerusalem bringing this they wanted to know and this is what you have to understand the healing work of god is 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 sent to substantiate the message of god so many times in the church we want to make the healing the main event but the healing is just a sign. Please listen to this. Some of you desperately want healing in your body, and that's great, and we'll pray for you, and many times you do get healed. Sometimes you don't get healed, but the message is more important than the healing. The, the healing is sent by God to substantiate the message so that people will wake up and listen and say, okay, God is real. Let me show you from a passage of scripture. Hebrews chapter two, verse four, it says this, God also bore witness what does that mean? He bore witness to the message of the apostles by signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts for the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Not everybody gets healed, but, but, most, but many people do. And that healing is sent from God to substantiate that Jesus is true. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the life. If all you get is healed and you don't come to Christ, the theological reality, according to the scriptures, is that you just go to hell in better shape. That's, that's really what it is. Like we, we, we so desperately want God to like do things like raise people from the dead. But, but do you understand that, first off, every person is going to be raised from the dead one day. But this side of Jesus' return... Anyone who gets raised from the dead now has to die all over again. I've always felt bad for Lazarus because his, <laughs> he has to get sick and die one time. Jesus comes along and says, okay, this is for the glory of God. Okay, Lazarus, come out. And he comes out and they unwrap him after having been dead four days. And the poor guy, I mean, everybody's excited except Lazarus. He's like, oh man, I gotta die again? <laughs> It's hard to die once. Now he's got to die twice, right? And I thought about this, though. You've got to realize it's not about what God can do to fix you all the time. It's about the message that God wants to proclaim through you if he fixes you or if he doesn't fix you. See, Christians will experience cancer just like non-Christians. Cancer is no respecter of persons. Christians will experience death and tragedy just like non-Christians. It's the response that tells the world the Jesus we worship is true. That no matter what I'm facing, no matter what I'm feeling, no matter what I'm experiencing, God is still with me. And that unshakable faith, listen, people cannot argue with that. 
Your testimony is something nobody can argue, debate, or fuss about. Stop worrying about arguing with non-believers about the age of the earth, the existence of dinosaurs, and whether or not we landed on the moon. Those things don't matter to people. What matters is life change. People need healing in their hearts and their souls and their minds. People need hope because life is hard. And when we stand in the harshness of life for the name of Jesus, we send a message to people that he is the way. God heals and restores lives, your life, to help share the message. Number two, God dispatches his angels to help share the message. I like this part the best. Did you see what happened in the text? Because it says that they arrested them. <laughs> they arrested them and they threw them into the public prison because they wanted to make a public statement about this is what happens if you disobey the Sadducean council. But the very next verse, like God doesn't waste any time. I love this. I wish this happened more often. But the very next verse, verse 19 says, but during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, please understand something here. God dispatched the angel to break them out of prison, not just so that they could go home and be happy. No, that's not what the text says. Look at what the text says. The angel comes, busts open the doors, and says, go. Somebody say, go. go. I'm going to ask you to say a few more words in this sentence, so hang with me and look at the screens. Go and what? Stay. That means be bold. Don't you sit back. You stand out in the what? Temple. In the most public place in all of Jerusalem. The temple was the city center of the entire area. And then he says, go in the temple and speak. say it. Say it to the people what? What's the next word? All, all. I kind of threw you off with that one. No problem. All the words of this life. In other words, don't be ashamed of what God has done in your life. I want you to see that the angel is dispatched from heaven to empower God's messengers to speak the gospel. We love the idea of angels, don't we? Like Americans love angels. Even Americans who don't like Jesus or Christians love the idea of angels. We put them on our television programs. How many remember Highway to Heaven, Michael Landon? Remember that show? My father and I, we used to watch that. I loved that show. Michael Landon from Little House in the Prairie. He was a devout Christian, by the way. Uh, he was an angel going around to help everybody. Then we had Touched by an Angel. I remember the, the movie... Angels in the Outfield. I think we should get back to some angel movies. It's zombies everywhere. Can we put the zombies out and get the angels back in? For heaven's sakes. Anyway. Love angels. We put them on Hallmark cards. We put them on, you know, on, on, on signs, on symbols. It's everywhere. Angels, angels, angels. We see them in clouds. We're like, oh, there's an angel in the cloud. It looks like an angel, a little wing. Pretty much every cloud could look like an angel if you really worked hard enough. But listen to me, angels are not sentimental beings sent to just make us feel better about ourselves. They are sent with a divine prerogative to help God's people preach God's message. 
Go out and stand. This is the angel. The angel was, I just, I just, I couldn't get over this. Because I was thinking that, that there was a conversation in heaven as soon as the apostles got arrested with God the Father and a certain angel. And he said, I've got an assignment. They just locked up my boys down there and they need to keep preaching. So can you go let them free? And the angel's like, no problem. And he goes and he sets them free. And he says, now go out there and start speaking. Don't you go home. Don't go hug your families. Go out and spread the message. The message is that important that God will assign angels to help get the message out. I think that when we gather in this church, there are angels around us. Amen. A few years ago, in the old building, we had a lady come for the first time. This was her baptism testimony. And she sat in the way back because that's where most guests will, will sit when they're scared to come to church. It's very scary to come to a church for the first time. And the row was empty, and way down at the end of the row was a, in her words, a tall black man. And uh, she didn't paying attention to him and she was listening to the message and the service ended and the tall black man she said got up out of his seat went down to the row went over to her and said you are in the right place and you need to listen to what he says and he walked away and she never saw him again and she said, I believe that was an angel that God sent. Because she came to Christ, she got baptized, she got involved in small group here. Life changed, her, her husband got saved, her child got saved, whole family got saved. Because of one angel sitting among us. She said, I've never seen him before, I never saw him again in this church. I didn't know who he was, and he was gone from my life. And that man, I believe, was an angel sent from God to reach that woman as we preached the gospel. Can I just say something? Thank God for big black angels. Hallelujah. Can I say that? <laughs> Hallelujah. Send them, Lord. <laughs> you never know, though. When we're gathered in this room, you might be sitting next to an angel. Some of you are like, I'm sitting next to my spouse. Shut up. No. <laughs> it might be behind you. The scripture says in Hebrews that we entertain angels unaware. Some of you want an angel watching over you. And I like that idea, but do you understand now? Please understand that the angels are assigned to help God's message get out. So if you want angels guarding you, and I want them guarding me. And, and by the way, angels are not these little cupid figures with little bare bottoms and a little arrow. That's not an angel. That's a Hallmark card invention. That's nonsense. Angels are powerful, mighty, spiritual beings. In the Old Testament, one angel annihilates 150,000 Assyrian soldiers in one night. One angel. And the Bible says there are myriads of angels in heaven. The Bible says that angels get excited about salvation. Let me share with you a couple of passages. Uh, one, Hebrews 1.14, Therefore angels are only servants, spirits sent to care for people who inherit salvation. Here's what I'm talking about. They're sent to care for people who will come to Christ. If you want to have an angel around you protecting you, and if you want the angels of God protecting this church, listen, we have to be radically committed to sharing the message of Jesus. We have to be radically committed to being a church for those who are not yet in our church. We have to be radically committed to telling people as many as possible, as far as possible, as wide as possible, that Jesus is the way. And I believe that God will assign angels to our church as we hold, out, hold true to the priorities of God to reach people who don't know him. The Bible says in Luke chapter 15, verse 10, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. In other words, the angels are up there having a party every single time just one person gets saved. 
We get excited when there's like 30, but, but the angels don't wait for 30. Hallelujah. <laughs> they're like, one person, amen, let's throw a party. Because they're radically committed to the message, and so should we. God will dispatch his angels. But the story in Acts chapter 5, 27 doesn't end. Uh, in Acts chapter 5 doesn't end. Let's, let's look. Again, they brought them in. They finally caught up to them. And they set them before the council. And the high priest questioned them, verse 28, we charged you not to teach in this name, and here you are. You filled Jerusalem with the teaching. Please notice that the authorities do not have a problem with the healings. They have a problem with the teachings. I want you to understand something. People never have a problem with the benefits that God gives them. They have a problem with the message God's trying to send them. This has always been the struggle in the church. So here's number three. There will always be opposition to sharing the message. Not everybody's going to like it. And I have found in my studies and in my research that Satan loves to use political structures and governmental structures to stop the message of Jesus. Do any amount of research in human history, do any amount of research in civilization's history, and you will see it. This goes as far back to a guy named Pharaoh when Moses came with the word of God, let my people go, and Pharaoh resisted the message. After Pharaoh, it was the Philistines. After the Philistines, it was the Assyrians, then the Babylonians, then the Medes and the Persians, and the Greeks and the Romans. Here in the New Testament, in the first few chapters of Acts, it was the religious establishment under the Judaism system. God, Satan has this nasty little habit to use the kingdoms of this world, the powers of this world, or at least the perceived powers of this world, to stop and silence the message of Jesus. Governments have been used to silence the message of Jesus. And yes, yes, listen to this very clearly. Even the political structure of the church was used by Satan to keep these words out of your hands. Do we understand this? Because it was 500 years ago when guys like Martin Luther and John Calvin and Zwingli and Melanchthon and all these reformers decided that the most important thing we could do for people was to give them the word of God freely. And the church had become so power-hungry, so corrupt itself, it had to be challenged and chastised and rebuked through a move of God in the Reformation to get these words out to God's people. Because listen to me, God knows this word will change your life, and Satan knows that this word will change your life, and so he will use powers and structures to keep this word out of your life. This happens on a global scale. In the last century, it was communist Russia and communist China that banned the scriptures from people's ear hearings. Even still today, there is a communist regime with heightened laws on the books against the Bible. It's called North Korea. According to Open Doors USA, this is a missionary program, up to three generations of a family can face imprisonment and even death if one member of the family is caught with a Bible in North Korea. Why? Do you ever ask yourself this? 
And some of you, young people especially, please listen. At some point, you've got to ask yourself, why is our country so much freer than those countries over there? I'll tell you why. When people can get a hold of God's word, it sets them free. It makes them generous. It makes them kind. It makes them loving. It makes them live more, more, more generously and courageously. Why? Because they know they're made in the image of God and God is with them and God is for them and not against them and God saves them and changes them and transforms them and makes them into kinder, gentler, softer, wonderful, more wonderful people. And if you find a dictator, I guarantee you, you will find a law on the books in his regime against the word of God. This, this word has the power to set you free. And Satan knows it and he tries like to, I was going to say tries like H-E double hockey stick. Okay, he tries his hardest, although that would be appropriate, I guess, in that condition. Satan tries his hardest to keep this word out of your mouth, out of your ears. Let me get a little bit... Let me just tell you this. Okay, the countries right now that currently have laws in the books against the Bible, let me just list them for you. See, see let me ask you if these are any of your vacation destinations. <laughs> Afghanistan, Algeria, Iran, Iraq, Libya, North Korea, we already said, Saudi Arabia, Somalia, Tunisia, Turkmenistan, Uzbekistan, and Yemen. Laws in the books against the Word of God. And if you go to those countries, those people are living under the auspices of tormenting regimes that take money from our government, line the pockets of their officials, and care nothing for the people. Do your research and you'll find out what I'm telling you is true. Do your research, you'll see it. Let me, let me get a little bit more close to home. This one's gonna pinch, so just be wary. The public school system of our country so adamant against this word now for five decades. Do you understand that public, is, public education was the product of the church? 1647, in this state, we enacted a law. It was called that old deluder Satan law because our government in this state believed that Satan preyed on ignorance. And so we needed to teach our children by law, communally wide, the scriptures. Fast forward to 1962 and 63, and the Supreme Court decides two landmark cases to remove both the Bible and prayer from our public school systems. 1962, 1963. Five decades of case study of what has happened to public education in this country since we took the scriptures away from the people who needed the most. You ask yourself, what has increased in our public schools? What has decreased? I have it for you. What has increased? Teen pregnancy, dropouts, drug addiction, and overdoses. Suicides, depression, sexual deviation, sexual dysfunction, gender confusion. Pharmaceutical prescriptions are a huge problem amongst our teens. The United States represents 5% of the world's population and consumes 75% of the world's pharmaceutical drugs. More teens die from prescription drug overdoses than heroin and cocaine combined every year. Prescription drug overdose and abuse has increased 20% year over year for several years in a row. And this is not to mention public school shootings. 
I went to school and I graduated public high school in 1994. Not one day in my life as a high school student did I have a fear that somebody would take a gun and shoot me. Not one day. They started in 1996 and they've continued ever since. And now we're up to, on average, two public school shootings a year in our public schools. And people want to blame the guns and take away freedom to fix the problem. Do you understand that we can't have freedom if we don't have the sun setting us free? Freedom without responsibility. Freedom without accountability. Freedom without a knowledge that there is a God who will judge you, the living and the dead, and you are accountable to him. You can't have freedom without knowing that in freedom. Amen. Now what has decreased? What has decreased is the following academic standards over the last 50 years. This is from educationweek.org. Textbooks that used to be written in the 12th grade level for 12th graders are now having to be written at the seventh grade level for 12th graders. Topics that previously had been taught in high school are now having to be taught in college. Since the 1970s, the United States public school system has made no gains at all in the quality of education, even though it has doubled its spending on public education. This according to the Atlantic Monthly, not a Christian publication. The Atlantic also reports that on America's latest national assessment of education progress exams, fewer than one-third of eighth-grader students were proficient in math, science, or reading. Fewer than one-third. The World Economic Forum ranks 48th in math and science education amongst 50 developed countries in the world. And by the way, over the last 40 years, the, the nation of China, which has allowed the Bible to come back into its society and the scriptures to be back into its society, has come from well behind 50 years ago to now leading the world in academic achievement, while at the same time, it is the country with the fastest growth rate of Christian population. Estimates are that China will be the most populous Christian nation in the world in 15 years. Wherever you have the scriptures taught, you get wisdom, you get understanding, you get the fear of the Lord, and you get the benefits of God's word. This word has the power to set you free and establish you for your life. I also read an article, I'm not done, I also read an article about the fact that they're putting, they're putting curriculum now back into the public school systems to teach scriptures on a secular level. So not a spiritual level, but a secular, the Bible's coming back. 440 school districts in the country have established this in 43 states. And the early returns are this, that nationwide surveys show that both students of faith and those of no faith respond positively to the Bible as curriculum. The former said they learn more about the Bible in a classroom than in church. And that's the indictment upon the church. If the church does not preach the word of God, the church has forfeited its right to exist. That's why we're here. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. In Christ Jesus are all the wi hidden wisdom and knowledge and revelation of God. If you have Christ, you live stronger and smarter and better. This is why we exist. This is the magnitude of our message. And so number four, the church must share the message no matter what. No matter what. If people like it, if they don't like it, we're going to teach it. We're going to tell people about Jesus. Peter and the apostles responded to those Sadducees and he said, we must obey God rather than men. We're not going to listen to you over God. Now, I want to say something to you. We have many public school people 
in this church. And I, we're not against you. We, we want you to stay in that public school and be a shining light of Jesus in that place. We need you there. Well, we pray for you because that's a hard area in our country right now. The disciples get punished. And then the verse 41 says, they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus. And then it says this, they did not cease teaching. They did not give up preaching that the Christ is Jesus. Friends, this message is the most important message the universe has ever heard. It is not just come to church. It is be the church and help us share it. Last thing I want to share with you is this. If you are not helping us share the message, start now. Start now. What can I do? I can give. I can serve. I can pray. I can invite. Let me talk about those last two for a second. Pray for our church. Can I ask you to pray for me? Do you understand that Paul the Apostle said to the Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 5, he said, please pray for me that I will have the boldness to teach this gospel as I ought to. I can tell you as a preacher, it's hard to do it. And every time I'm up here, every single time I'm up here, there's a voice of Satan in my head saying, you're no good. You're terrible. You're not worthy. Stop it. They're bored. They're not listening to you. Every single time, I need you to pray for me. So that I can continue to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ no matter what happens in this country. We're in this together. And then who can you invite? Who can you invite to our church? We, we're church for all kinds of people, all different walks of life. And the Lord challenged me yesterday with this question, and I had no answer, and I want to challenge you with it, and I want us to get an answer. Here is the question that God asked me. Who are you currently praying for to come to know me, Tim? I had no answer. I didn't even realize I didn't have an answer to that question. It's been so long. And right away I decided, okay, this is the person. I'm going to start praying for them, and I'm going to start asking God to give me opportunities to share with them the message of Jesus and invite them to my church. And if we all did that, if we all did that, if we all had a name, we just wrote down the name. And please, I know some of you, it's your kids all the time. It's somebody that you love because they're relationally connected to you. I understand that. But who has God put into your life who is not family on purpose? Who doesn't know Jesus? Pray for them. Invite them. And see God change them. That's the magnitude of our message.